0: because and and i do that like i do that as a teacher if i do not feel right like i am not going to spend my time detailing out my feedback if i don't think it's going to change right so
1: sorry that that's it though i know I know, i know that's that's the answer
0: right welcome back to another episode of professional development my name is jim mayors and i teach 11th grade english in boston massachusetts
1: and i'm marcus luther and i teach uh 10th and 11th grade english with a few seniors uh, scattered in at mcnary high school in uh kaiser oregon
0: um and we've it's been a little while marcus we've been a yeah little sorry a little rusty my apologies <laughs> that's, that's okay um yeah, we had, uh, it's been a busy, busy six weeks for me. Uh, I'm sure it has been for you, but I was glad that we got to connect uh, tonight. Um, this was great. I felt really invigorated and excited. Uh, I I like coming back to the podcast and putting these out here. It, um, it was great to check in. We talked about how, you know, checked in, said how the year's going. Uh, we talked a little bit about what we're teaching to close out the year. You're teaching Gatsby. maffy maffy was teaching gatsby about a month and a half ago when i talked to him so i loved uh, continuing the gatsby um i really like the question that you posed to me uh about what an a means in your class i thought that was really great and you said that you had a staff a real big staff conversation about this in your school
1: yeah we like we just debriefed across departments and about what these that type of question that thinking about the choices we make especially around grades and how we have different thought processes as different teachers and i think it was a really healthy conversation to have as a school team i'm really grateful for
0: yeah And then, of course, I mean, the big, the bulk of the episode, which honestly, I feel like we kind of got into places that we didn't exactly expect to get into, but
1: not at all. uh, We
0: mostly we were talking about just the choices and the power dynamics that those reflect uh, in the classroom, especially to the extent that we sort of as teachers that we feel open and honest about making certain choices in the classroom and how that impacts students and I thought it was a really very reflective and energetic conversation to to start closing out the school year, which I appreciated
1: yeah, little prosecutorial at times on my end towards yours, so I love it buckle buckle up for this one, folks. Uh, I can take it, I can take uh, it
0: um, all right, friends, well, thank you for listening, and without further ado, here is our next episode all right, Marcus, we made it back
1: we're back it's been a little bit, but it's good to good to see you. How are you doing
0: uh, i'm good i'm good we um uh I'm I'm I guess I'm a bit frazzled, you know. There's a lot of like hectic stuff that goes on at the end of a school year.
1: Um and How many that, more weeks? Let's, let's let's put the number up there. How many more weeks you got?
0: Well, I uh 7 is the okay. quick answer. Um we, we're six
1: here, so I got you yeah, about one.
0: Yeah. But My seniors, I teach one period of seniors, and so they bounce a little bit earlier, which which is good. Um, But it's been really great uh, teaching them because I taught them, I taught this group all on remote instruction last year, Mm -hmm. um, and I got to know them, you know, as you did in remote instruction, you get to know kids like surprisingly well, a lot better than I anticipated, um, and then this year with AP seminar with them, it's been a real blast. So anyways, it's been, it's been pretty special, uh, closing out the year with them. Cause you're sort of watching them have a real graduation post pandemic and you get to see them talk about like prom and, uh, get all their APs done and get the college acceptances rolling in. So that's been, that's been really special.
1: Yeah. And just this year for, I'm sure a lot of teachers like last year, like for a lot of us, we weren't in we were online most of the year and the ending of the year didn't feel like the ending of the year. Like this year, it's like no, you've like the classroom feels the way it's supposed to feel at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least for on my end, in terms of just like the classroom community and just having to read on how kids are doing and just like just a space you enjoy being in. So I'm really trying to soak that up as much as possible uh these last six weeks, too.
0: So. Yeah. What do you got going on? What are you
1: doing? So uh We got just launched into our last book with 10th graders, Born a Crime, first time I've ever taught it, which you ever know. I'm really excited about that. Uh, And really, because we've been centering the the question of the other and how the idea of the other operates in society throughout the entire semester. So I'm really appreciative of that. Uh, Because, you know, I mean, let me ask you a quick question, then I'll do the final, like, kind of rest of the update. Do you like teaching a text for the first time or the fifth time? If I had to give you those two options, first time or fifth time. I think second Ooh, time's a, the sweet spot.
0: Second time's the best time. Yeah, it, um, it, I would. If I was picking between the two, I would probably say. I would probably say fifth at this point. Oh, um, but I will. I will add the caveat here as like I. Here's. Can I tell you why? This is why. Yeah. No, you're fine. Okay, I'm just. <laughs> one of the reasons and uh, you know I've talked a lot about this with like Aaron and okay I, a huge part of like me being in the classroom right now is actually longevity and sustainability right yeah and so it's I I say fifth knowing that it would be boring and but like I'm I'm able to at least not pretend but like I don't care if it's boring to me. Right. I care. I care more that I'm good at teaching it. Um, That said, selfishly, I would much rather teach a text for the first time because, you know, that's when like, I remember I taught justice by Michael Sandel in the, I I mean, I used the word taught extremely loosely in this context because it was like when we first pivoted uh, to remote instruction and like, Anyhow, I was so excited. I was so pumped about like, you know, t- like just having the discussions with like as you do with the kids, and that was the time in the pandemic where it was like everything was optional, and so any time any any student like submitted anything, I was like, yes, I love that part. I don't know, it was really fun. Um, so right now, I would say the fifth time, and conscious of the fact that it would be boring to me but I also prioritize ease of planning and routine and like just having that extra brain space and making my job a lot easier more than I think I used to but yeah so I I don't know what's your answer to that
1: it's fine I'm I it's not just selfishly I think I'm at my best the first time I do think I'm better probably time two maybe time three but then I do think there's some decline just like the natural apathy in terms of how you prepare for a given lesson. And it's like a yeah. close read. I think the joy matters for me. So, uh, cause it's interesting. So I bring that up and I, 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 I could rant about like, I'm so excited about this born a crime unit and this text is about absolutely phenomenal. The, the mm-hmm. last four chapters from like a literary perspective from like an emotional tension, like that book is a must read. And I'm so excited to bring that into the classroom space, but flip side Gatsby uh, with AP mm-hmm. after test. So just complete freedom to enter into it. Not to mention, one of the students adapted the text into a theatrical play that they are performing for the school play that we get to watch. And oh, that's like, awesome! Be able to like, and so we'll be able to critique like choices that were made. So that uh, that text uh, is just something that like we're I'm trying to approach it from a really different lens, uh, mm-hmm. bringing in some like modern poetry, like Kyle Dargans uh next to House Divided the poem uh podcast on submissions uh not to get too deep into that but more the idea of the story we tell about ourselves and the narratives that we create for ourselves and for others and how mm-hmm. and then collectively the story we tell ourselves about the country uh mm-hmm. and using that as a lens into characterization but more just reflection in the text but the thing I'm excited about beyond, know, I mean you can see I'm excited about pretty much every aspect right now I but know, I like it uh, I I the task for my uh, AP kids is they have to write a multi-genre text, and the only prompt is write something meaningful, uh, and it has to have five ingredients. Ingredient one has some some sort of narrative; mm-hmm. has to talk about something that we have read in class. I've got the hyperlinks to all the list of I mean the the poems, the stories, et etc. They have to bring some, one of those in. They have to bring in something that we did not read in class. And that's like any text. I mean, I told one of them who's like always trying to like watch Grey's Anatomy during their break time, like write about Grey's Anatomy as much as that brings me revulsion. Uh, Like they can bring in whatever they want to it, a TV show, what have you. Uh, They have to have a visual element and they also have to have an audio element. So they have to either like record themselves talking about a part they did. They can create a song and it's all about like juxtaposing the different ideas. And it has to be exactly this is the part they don't like. 2022 words so uh that's it and something we're like working on it we're like at first day just said hey your screens with your spirals and type for 10 minutes can't look at it go and just like so i'm trying to to the weird lean into getting outside the box and it's been fun to like see their looks as we go into it you can know the kids who are like like Where, where's, where's the sample and the exemplars and all the like the outlines yeah. like sorry like figure it out yeah so and we're at a place in this year like with this group who's done so well and all like the within the box stuff where i really do feel like i can push them to this point and i'm really excited to see how this goes so i am uh in a 10 out of 10 in terms of enthusiasm for these last six weeks really excited man we should all be so lucky <laughs> i'm sorry i'm not i'm not trying to
0: no i i think it's great man i i am excited too i think um first of all you need it like you even if you're not like you just you can't we have a lot of school left right like i think yeah. people this is kind of the dead, the part of the school year where people are just like pining for summer but like there's a lot of school left and not only can it be like boring and and like uneventful if you're checking out but also things can like really go off the rails and like kids don't like it teachers don't like it you don't want to spend like weeks on end just being like grumpy so yeah you it's it's good to be push yourself to to be positive and to like what you do I mean I'm uh doing a personal statement like one of the things I like about teaching AP Lang is you know after Tuesday the AP test will be done and a big thing that I did last year with the juniors in AP Lang was just personal statements for college like super actionable super meaningful and like this is something you can use next year it's often something that seniors put off right and so I have a creative writing background I like writing personal essays it's something that feels very comfortable to me so it was I I'm excited to roll that out once the AP test is over with too.
1: Yeah. And that's this project's tied into that. Most of the kids in there are juniors, but it's just yeah, they can take the aspect narrative from there and shape that into their personal statement. But uh just like, yeah, anyhow. I'm I I love this time of year. Uh I think sometimes you can be you have to be careful because if every teacher they have is like, Oh, let me throw something against the wall and see if it sticks, then their yeah. life gets pretty stressful. So we're trying to bring it into the classroom yeah. uh, and giving them time to do it. But Yeah, I just I think part of the biggest thing that's framing like my disposition right now that you're hearing is just this joy of being able to have these six weeks that because I think I've talked about it on here, as much as like from a curricular standpoint, you say this is the end of the year, how do we get here academically, skill wise, Mm -hmm. etc. Same thing with classroom culture and how do we get to this place in our classroom community and what steps do we need to take? And I'm just really excited to be in this final space that we've been working towards in terms of getting to know each other. And of course, there's things we want to get better at. Because uh, then something else we've been, I've been doing is once a week I I, may, I put a choice that I made as a teacher up on the board, whether it's like a policy choice or like a reading choice, and we just debated and by debated I mean by we I mean not me I, I just sit back and take notes I ask them if, if you go back what would you have done um, so like we'll do the surveys at the end of the year but it's been really nice just to hear their perspectives on pa- the power structure like teachers make choices all the time mm-hmm. and making that visible to them and it's like trying to say like hey this is something you need to be aware of so you can advocate for yourself because a lot of times teachers have a lot of power in a lot of their stuff in most situations and a lot of choices that seem like official or policy, they're, they're kind of arbitrary. And I, I think it's important to make that as transparent as possible with them. And those conversations have been really enlightening and I've learned a lot from them. So I'm super grateful for the students for all of that.
0: I love that. I love that. All right. Well, now that we've got all the science and math teachers tuned out of here, uh, what a are... <laughs> well, science
1: and math teachers can do that. I would say every teacher should do that. Jim, G- no, you kidding. should do that. Put it. I'm put, kidding. Put yeah. the, what's the hardest choice that you made this year with your curriculum? That's a great question. It is. Off the top of my head, I would say, I could tell you the worst
0: choice that I made, which was uh, structuring, leading off the year with what I call just an open essay structure, mm-hmm. which was just like, I gave criteria and exemplars and things like that. But the idea was, okay, we, over the course of like three over the course of a whole unit, right, we have i'm going to give you like one to two days a week in class, which is pretty differentiated, and one of the things that you can be doing is working on this open essay and it's going to be like a lot you'll have plenty of time to do it, but it's like mostly supposed to be operating in the background, and it's mostly supposed to be this time that you have to like really explore and write but it just fell super flat and that was because like i think like anything it started out with good intentions but um it's just reaffirming the idea that like if you're not making something live in the classroom then it's certainly not going to live outside of the classroom so that was scrapped second semester for sure um I think even before second semester, like, by the time three, by the time I had three rounds of that, and they were just all like, not healthy, and the kids didn't like them, and I didn't like them. And I was just like, all right, we're not doing this anymore. Um, And yeah, I would just also say, like, I don't know, something around pacing or timing, like, I f- felt like it took I felt like I took a long time and then also students took a long time to get used to, okay, how fast can we read, you know, 10,000 words and what does that look like and how do you assess that and how do you come back to it? So I'd say those are the two big things that I have in mind as I'm looking forward to next year is something around pacing and then something around like like a consistent a consistent writing routine that, that, that builds over time and feels really meaningful, but also that like is very present and alive on a day-to-day basis, which that's hard to do. Like that's just yes. hard to do when you're trying to like fit when you're like looking at all the data and being mm-hmm. like, all right, well, we got to remediate this skill or whatever. I don't know. It's a balancing act for sure.
1: Yeah. I'd bring that into it. Like ask them about like what, the, like being like i think for me the part i've been trying to be intentional about is saying here's the choice i made here are the values that that choice stem from so you know like my intentions behind it that does not mean it was the right choice or even that those are the right values but i want you to see like cuz we talk a lot in my cl- our class about a values based lens in trying to see even character choices mm-hmm. of what values drove that decision because i feel like if you can see the world with like value through a values lens it makes it a lot clearer and a little easier to navigate and that's a skill of course that translates beyond just the english classroom but so i'd like even like put up the choice here's the values here like silent right what would you do and then they, they do like their group discussions debrief present out then they do a vote and then like i just like i'm taking notes the whole time so because mm-hmm. like i asked them about like hey king lear should we have done seven weeks on that Cause I could have done like an excerpt of Julius Caesar and did about half the time, or should I find something different? And we had a real, like they were very divided on that. And I think it's what also, they say? Oh, they were like, I think 60% keep it, which, it, mm. but it was important for them to also see that division. Cause I think sometimes they need to see like, as teachers, we're making choices that at some point, like you're gonna make a choice that makes some people happy and some people not happy. Mm. And they need to be in that room and kind of like, like see other students perspectives about those choices. So I've just really enjoyed that. Sorry, I'll get off the soapbox about that, but uh, nah, I think that's great. It's been a cool thing.
0: Yeah, I think. And what? Uh, so, do they turn in anything in writing in
1: response to that? They do a lot of their spiral work on that, uh, like their reflections. So they do, they turn their spiral regularly for yeah. their work. But then we also do Google Forms afterwards, so I can get like the one through seven agree disagree on statements. So I have the yeah. quantitative data to look at afterwards. But yeah. it's the conversation that I think just anything we can do to like lower the power dynamic in the room uh Mm -hmm. even like i try not to stand while it's going on try to find a place to sit so Mm -hmm. it's just really trying to be intentional about that but we'll see it's it's also be nice like next year i'll be like hey this is what they said so i'm doing it so i have some uh, extra data to support it for that data-driven decision
0: where would when would you make the choice to to not do what they say
1: Oh, I've I've told them at the front end, like, I'm not going to go directly down the line on whatever they say, especially if it's like 55, 45 in that type of situation. But I think it's really easy in talking with teachers a lot of times to make the presumption that we know better. And I really, I guess for me, at my end, it's like if. If they said something's wrong and it's like within my power, like obviously if they say something that goes against school policy or something or whatever, like I told them like, Hey, AP curriculum, we got to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're talking about, but there are so many choices we make, even from like grading and things like that. And I, I'm trying to really check my own assumptions, uh, and just listen. And I better have a, like a damn good reason to go against what they say is what would have been better for them. I guess is kind of where I'm at. The I mean, are they I guess
0: what I'm thinking is like, okay, do they ever do they ever say things like, oh because like the immediate high school kid instinct is to be like, well, do less work, right? But actually a lot of times students don't say that. Like students No, they don't. Yeah. And and I think um I think this is sort of I guess speculation on my part but there's just there's there seems to be a lot of like school-wide policy that's built around assuming that the kids are going to want to try to like get out of the work and and not do stuff and just like a constant level of micromanagement yeah and, and I feel like that is the environment that that can create the apathy <laughs> like, the,
1: like you you know what no I mean? you, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy or right. or, or, or syllabi yeah. yeah i i I have ex- not experienced students but i think the biggest thing you get is some students saying like i i want a text that's easier to work through and of course in an ap literature uh class like part of the skill is that working through so it's how to balance it Uh, But I also think it's important for them to be in that same room and hear the voices of other students and then for me to be open about the tensions in every curriculum choice. Uh, And even like like one thing we did is, you know, they had sticky notes on their desk. This is a bell ringer to start one day getting an A in this class means blank Mm -hmm. and they all filled out their sticky note without talking. And then I said, "Okay, everyone read their sticky note, all 36 kids or whatever. And the range of answers in that room was profound in terms of what they felt an a met at their junior and senior point of their K-12 career all over the place. And they heard it being all over the place. And then they start like, they're even like halfway through hearing it, just giving each other looks and it just like the disparity. And I'm like, has anyone asked you this before? And they're like most for the vast majority. No. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, what do you think teachers would say? I'm like, my guess, honestly, pretty much as wide a range as you've got right here. And just trying to peel back the onion a little bit about this this school stuff, like giving them the chance to reflect on the actual philosophy and pedagogy that goes into this, uh, and bringing them into that conversation. Not that I have the answer by any means, but yeah, it, it's I'm just trying to do that more in this last six weeks, along with the other stuff that we're doing.
0: Yeah, I think. What, that... what would you say,
1: Jim? Well, getting an yeah. A in your, your class means to get oh. Um...
0: Well, I'll focus on AP Lang, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think.
1: Oh, the clock's ticking. Yeah, I don't know. I've been giving A's for 10 years almost. I know, I know. Oh, uh, this the, is great. The, the, most,
0: the most immediate thing with AP Lang is, I, I would say, not not necessarily within the time constraints of the actual AP Lang test, but like, for me, probably a four, like the ability, like a very clear ability to get a four, at least, at least within the written portion of the AP Lang exam to me is where you should be at skill-wise to earn an A, right? From there, it should be, okay, Do I really care that you can write the synthesis FRQ in 45 minutes or like an hour? No, not really. But yeah, I do care that you are able to read and decode and deconstruct nonfiction sources, identify themes between them. I do care that you know the difference between Like inductive and deductive reasoning, I do care that you can actively make an argument that's intentional about the patterns that you're establishing. Right? Like, can you can you do that uh, with a synthesis FRQ? Can you do that with rhetorical analysis? And can you do that with argument? Those three major modes of writing, yes, they are pretty formulaic. And like, I know a lot of people have thoughts on the AP the entire AP curriculum, but like, no, you're fine. It's just good writing, right? Like this is good writing. It's a very clear way to measure your ability to uh, construct an argument. And at this level, getting an A should mean skill wise. That's the key word. Yeah. Everything you
1: say is skill.
0: Yeah. And so from there, I would say that, yeah, I mean,
1: so it's about I, skill. It reflects levels of skill across foundational standards in your course.
0: Yes, but I would also say like, I'm not, there is like a cumulative, like there's a certain amount of work that, of it. right? Like, and I and I definitely am not on this idea of like volume equals rigor, but I, I really do believe in, a consistent evolving thought process over time. And so, like, in a given quarter, I take a lot of, I make a lot of intentional choices to have things layer on each other and build in thematic ways. Right. And so, like, I know you shouldn't be able to get an A if you can crank out three FRQs at a really high level by the end of the quarter. Like, there is, there is a, I think there is like a cumulative uh content that that is carried by the text that you read right like if we assign these 10 texts throughout the quarter and you like aren't you're not able to know and 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 have a deep understanding of what those texts say and what they mean and what the connections are between them That is something that I really think takes time and you have to, there is a certain volume of effort and work that needs to be demonstrated. And I think in order to get an A for a specific quarter.
1: So you have two kids, one kid has done the work. That's one of the most common words on those sticky notes. Sure. The other kid has demonstrated the skills, which student gets the A. I mean, neither neither of them necessarily like, who, does, who, should, who should get it? Because if a kid has mastered all the skills of your course, does it matter if they've done the work? Yeah, 100%. Okay. But no. what if the kid who's done all the work? Because by the way, most, the most popular answer was did all the work. Mm-hmm. And it was like a, almost like a checklist type mindset from students saying, like, it's like, like, you should be able to get the A by doing the X number of work was a very common refrain. I know no. we're doing it three time zones away. Yeah, no, I think –
0: if you, I really don't accept the answer of having done all the work because I assign, I I don't even know, but it's over 20 Mm -hmm. at like rounds of an FRQ this year. Like shorter, longer pair, like there's so many at-bats that you have as a student. And I'm honest, I get frustrated as a teacher one of my frustrations with students is like the whole transactional nature of like, oh, I'm going to do this assignment to the minimum quality possible. And like, if I, if that to me is not doing the work, like if you aren't demonstrating, and, and that's where I think the skill bar comes in, right? If you want, if you want to get an A in the class, there. Each of each of the things I think should be codependent, and there should be a reasonable volume of work that demonstrates growth over time. but yeah, there is a, for sure there has to be a bar of skill and talent and if and if you are well not the T word, you drop the T word that that I mean, that's a bomb drop the kids right better and worse essays like that is we should just be clear about that and say so the
1: a reflects the kid walks in with more talent and here's the a well no not necessarily like i've given plenty of kids with ext- like
0: lots of i've had students who are very very talented get f's in my class because they don't do the work like it's definitely the thing that is um if 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 you are just constantly turning in a C-level essay and you know that it's a C-level essay and you're not pushing yourself to improve, then you should carry a C average throughout the course. Like, that is what it is.
1: Well, what's a C? Sorry, we could go down the rabbit hole here and I'm not saying we, but I do think, and maybe this is the headspace I've been at this year all of these things are arbitrary, right? ABC is arbitrary. Like at some level decided and it's very subjective. Like this idea of like, Oh, I want them to know that, that like the, the great Gatsby and King Lear and have a deep understanding of how these characters have evolved and the complexity of these themes of the course. And Then they're like, I want that for them. And I do get that if you weren't there to read the text or you didn't read the text, you're not going to have that. Mm-hmm. But so much of that is invisible to me from like the actual power structure of an assigning a grade that has real world ramifications on students in the game that we're in. So I I guess, I mean, and by the way, we actually had with our staff did the same activity a couple weeks later just this last week with Mm -hmm. the sticky notes. And it was same thing. Like, what does the name mean? It was a conversation, I think as a staff. And I do think that part of where I'm at this year is very much like a window lens of realizing all the things that I haven't really thought about that I should have been thinking about. Cause like this is year 10 and like this conversation of what an A means, what it grades means. doesn't mean I have an answer by any means, but I do think we don't talk about it enough mm-hmm. uh, and we don't talk about it enough with students. I think students have a right to have to be in those conversations because they're the ones who are being influenced by them. So that's in kind of like my lens into it. I, and I'm sorry, i am not, giving you a hard time on some of the questions, but no, I think it's fair. I think it's something that I'm like in this moment of really trying to hold myself accountable to having good answers to those questions and I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to make sure I get there. And the best way for me to get there is to talk to students about it and have those conversations as much as possible. Yeah. I
0: mean, I definitely think it's a huge problem that basically in every school I've ever worked at, Uh, that variance in what an A actually means is uh, constantly existent among teachers, right? And like, that's influenced by their own personal, like, background, and like their own personal education experience, and their own, like, um, well, their own philosophy, their own pedagogy as teachers, which is different for basically every teacher. And there's very rare, it's very rare that you have like long-term whole staff, cross-content alignment conversations with that, right? So like that is a huge breeding ground for A's meaning different things. Um, But, which in that context, yes, grades are arbitrary, right? But they shouldn't be arbitrary, I don't think, like they should mean something, and they should be rooted in a, certainly at a high school level, they should be rooted in a really deep content knowledge and expertise in the instructor, right like i am I am fully down to explore the different ways that power dynamics and, and like those types of structures can be interrupted uh, in the classroom and different ways and, and routines and habits and patterns and stuff. Like I'm interested in all that. I am completely for it. But one thing that I'm really not open to is that the, is the idea that students know how to write better than I do. (laughs) Right. And like, they need that. Like there does need to be, a I think there needs to be a very clear um, person who has the content expertise. And it's not that a lot of times, what I think like in good instruction is it's not you necessarily up in front of the room. It can be that, like it can be the model, the analytical modeling and the delivering of like carefully selected content and facts and stuff. But a lot of times that content expertise comes in knowing exactly what text to put in front of students at a specific time. And that decision is, can be very invisible to students, and it, it should feel a lot of times invisible to students, especially in a humanities classroom. But there is, I mean, there needs to be a very clear vision of content expertise from the instructor And that is the most important thing I think that does need to inform what an A
1: gets. So when you say vision, what do you mean? Do you mean like selling it or like the substantive actual expertise?
0: The substantive expertise of like your ability to like, I really would not be a very good English teacher if I did not study the humanities and like, At the level that I did and read the amount of like essays and the type of the type of study that I did in college makes me a significantly better humanities instructor than it would have if I was a government major right like some someone who also read a lot and wrote a lot, but like, I wasn't, I wasn't a poli sci major. I wasn't a so like, I wasn't a psychology major. I was an English major. (laughs) And there's a huge schema that I have to pull from that I think informs maybe less transfer, like maybe it's less apparent. And that distinction is maybe a little bit too nuanced in like a high school setting, but I don't know. I just think that that content expertise really matters. And I think it can be forgotten sometimes, or at least like not as valued as like, oh, what does the common core standard say? What does this rubric point get you? So on and so forth.
1: Okay. I I had three things uh, in response to that. Uh, I guess number one, uh, I mean, we both came into teaching through an organization that tossed people willy nilly into content areas they did not have content expertise in so let's name that sure you and i both did an english literature major like did all that stuff and and, and i agree with you that that is a a, a, an added value in our roles that we can draw upon that expertise but year one we were assigning grades without the expertise of teaching like so -hmm. there was a lot of arbitrariness early on where we were walking in tossed in four preps english nine english 10 english 11 english 12 for me right uh, but you're the, a way better teacher exp- now no but you're a way expertise. better teacher now yeah but i was think about all the teachers early on in their careers who are making these same like they have the same power dynamic as we do and at some point we were in that space too so that's where i want to acknowledge that part right 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 and like so that's part of it, and I was teaching skills that I didn't learn in college. like we were like some of the standards sure. and skills were not stuff I had deeply studied in terms of grammar and teaching like with yeah. that stuff, and I know that's a whole weeds that we don't need to go into, but the other thing I just want i'll put myself like on the roast here, like I look back at so many poor choices that I made in terms yeah. of those invisible choices, and I'll give an example. The way I handled plagiarism in my first three years hmm. is absolutely ridiculous. Now looking back, at least I believe so. <laughs> in terms, do, of I was my, my belief was that you plagiarize assignment, you need to get ready for college. They're going to yeah. throw you out, or not throw you out, but they, sure. there's going to be significant penalties. In some yeah. cases, there are. So you're going to have an automatic zero on that assignment. You cannot make it up. Doesn't matter what the situation is. I had a couple kids, and I, they're doing fine now. So I don't mind. Mm. T- I'm not going to like name them, but. Uh, like first semester, their senior year in AP, and they, they messed up. They intentionally did what they did. It was not like a small thing. It caught, co- they were already on the verge of not passing the class, caused them to fail the class. They had to take extra classes after school. Yeah. They weren't able to be an AP the rest yeah. of the way. I remember those conversations. I remember those conversations with the parents. And in my mind, I was so You're convicted right. that that was the right way right. to hold a policy consistent. It was in the syllabus. I had yeah. all the evidence-based stuff. That's right. ridiculous. I was, that was a horrible choice on my part. And like, that's totally different than how I handle it now, where it becomes a conversation. They get a reattempt. They send a reflective email about the process that led to them making that choice. It's a, it's become a great learning opportunity for students. Mm-hmm. And they've told me that families have told me that like totally different yeah. way of handling that. And the reason I'm saying this is I have the same power now that I did back then. And that's a completely different decision. And if I made that mistake, there's got to be a lot of other mistakes. And there are. And I think for me, this comes back to where I'm at now.
0: I don't, in this, can year, I just, in the can window I... Year.
1: yeah, I'm just saying like, we make mistakes all the time. And I'm going to take myself off the pedestal. Like sure. there's so many arbitrary power positions and decisions I make as a teacher And I'm just trying to be really self-aware about that. And for me, the best way to be self-aware is to be transparent with students because that transparency with my students is the best form of accountability for me to be the best version of myself as a teacher.
0: I think that's fair, but you're not making the same mistakes now. Like you're not, you're just not making the
1: same mistakes now as you were in the first year teacher. You're just not. Well, in year eight of the professional development podcast. (laughs) <laughs> which we will have a massive fall in at that point. Right. Let's put some decisions. And this, by the way, is why I love putting these decisions on the table. Sure. And for like, so, because I think we don't, and here's my big point. I don't think we actually think about a lot of decisions we make. I think we just make them and mm-hmm. we don't think to ourselves that these are actually choices. Right. Uh, and because I was just talking with students about this, like we pick these big choices. Right. And we focus on them as like these life altering choices but then there's like a thousand choices in between as teachers, like that little moment a kid walks in a few seconds late. Do you assign a tardy or do you not? Based on like, there's so many biases built into those choices that we make. And I know that's part of being a teacher and the expertise that's accumulated. And of course, I feel more confident making those choices now than sure. I did. But who's to say that ten years from now there's not a laundry list of choices I now would change? Uh, I guess, and there will be. Yeah. yeah, there will.
0: Yeah. So I, I really appreciate this because this is one of the reasons that I think you and I both wanted to get into this podcast in the first place, which is just like, okay, there's not a very reflective space to have these kinds of conversations as peers oftentimes. And so this is what that space is for, I think both of us, um, you know, okay, yes, you, you are going to change your pedagogy over time. And, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that your choices now are not exponentially better than your choices in your first year of teaching. And the other thing that I would say about the choices is like, there is, there's a mental capacity, right. And like a cognitive load where as a as a teacher it is your job to make decisions and you have to you have to make the decision knowing the first of all knowing the conscious pros and cons of whatever that decision is and also the better you get as a teacher you start making those decisions anticipating potential things that you that you think may not go wrong or that you hope may not go wrong but you make the decision anyway right so like you're I feel like this decision making ability as a teacher you get you get better binoculars right as you as you stay in the classroom more and so the other just the point that I'm trying to make I think about making these decisions is when you are in the day-to-day, right? That's like what your pedagogy is to me. It's like, when you are in the day-to-day of having to make the day-to-day decisions, you don't have time. You don't have time to read the book, right? And to compare the two different perspectives. Like you do not have the time to talk to the three different ed majors who are the professors, right? Like you're in the weeds, you're doing the work, you're making the choice. And you have to own the choice, and so at some point, the rubber meets the road, and you say, "This is what's happening in the classroom." And over time, those decisions get better and better. I, I, I really believe that, but like you don't always have the space to operationalize the, you know the, a constant process of reflection in the same way that I think every we would like to, because that's just, that's just not feasible, I think.
1: Yeah. And of course, I I agree with that. And that's why going back to where we started with why I'm owning the choices I've made over this year and bringing those choices into the classroom and saying, hey, this is what I decided and creating that time to reflect through their lens before next year. Because there are those big ticket choices that matter and trying to be also intentional about when I make a choice in a given class period, explain the value behind it. Like, hey, we're going to move on at this point, but here's why I need you to know these. This is my reasoning. I'm going to make this choice because I'm the teacher mm. uh, and trying to acknowledge that for sure uh, with them, because, I, again, I have incredibly great. This year's probably been acknowledging that I had an incredible student teacher first semester was constantly asking me why did you do that why did you do that so i had that reflective lens and then from observing so from the back of the classroom and really having time to think about some of the choices big pic- picture mm-hmm. in our classroom and then also being in a bigger school where i with my english 10 classes there's five other teachers teach english 10 so we're constantly talking about the choices we're making in our classroom oh, to build that alignment and it is i am incredibly grateful think about like teacher appreciation week, right. the team I'm on and the ability to bring in their strengths and their strategies into our classroom to make it better and to collaborate. So I think this year, more than any other career or year in my career, I've had that window lens. And for me, it's a matter of humility. And I think the biggest thing I, I want to name for newer teachers listening is that it's really hard to be transparent about your choices with students. I'm not trying to act like it's easy. It comes from a place of feeling really affirmed and celebrated Mm -hmm. as a teacher where I feel confident in what I'm doing. And it makes it easier to then say, Hey, here's a mistake I made. Hey, I'm not sure about this with students. If that's year one, that's infinitely harder to do. If you're not supported by your admin the way I am and very grateful for that, uh, it's infinitely harder to do. If you're really struggling on several levels and like work is just like getting there as a success, it's, you're not going to throw up on the board and say, here's some mistakes I made. Let's talk about them. Like I, it's from a place of privilege. It's from a place of support that I can have those conversations, but we need to create an education system where teachers have that support, have that affirmation to be willing to be honest and transparent with students. Because if we're not doing that, the message to students is that your voice doesn't matter in these choices that affect your education. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I think it reminds me of something that, um,
0: that Matthew said, I don't know, I'm sure you probably listened to Matthew's episode, but he was talking about how, you know, he felt like, okay, as a straight white man in this system, I have, the, I, like, people just don't question, and I, I completely agree with this, like, I think it's 100% true. People do not question your curricular decisions. You can throw out, you could, you could put, I could, you could read Karl Marx, you could read the, you could put the Communist Manifesto in front of students in the Delta, and I could get away with it for sure, right? No questions asked. And I think that also comes with, a like, it's also been true every year that I've worked in a, a school, it's just, it's just true of being a male teacher. Like, students, I think, consciously or subconsciously just are a little bit more open to that and like don't you know which is which is not the way that it should be and i wonder sometimes about the extent to which like i name that within or or for my students and whether that's appropriate sometimes but it is something that i think about a lot too
1: yeah i think it's incredibly important in this education system to acknowledge that and to then lean into it not just in the choices we make but in the way we name them and the way we advocate for others who don't have that same position. Uh, but then again, going back to like that dynamic in the classroom, I think it's important for students to see teachers being open about that. And I think that having those conversations, and, and I was not having that type of conversation in my classroom year one the way I try to now, mm-hmm. but that's why, like, we have this podcast space. Hopefully, is like to try and be open about where we're at in our careers and this, our journeys, and we're still going, and we're still learning, and we're still making plenty of mistakes. So, be mm-hmm. really clear about that too. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, this is not where we we had talked about. No, this is great this discussion.
0: This is I I I like this. This has challenged me to um, you know think about um the ways in which I ask students because I'm definitely not. I'll just be straight up like. I am not asking students to reflect on my curricular choices to the same degree that you are. And that is, that's intentional, right? Like I could do that and I'm choosing, I'm choosing not to. So so, so
1: why let's go into that. I know that's where you're heading, but let's lean directly into that.
0: I think um, there's a couple different reasons. I feel like a primary reason is. All right. Let me walk through this quickly. Um, and the first one, I don't think you're going to like. But the first one is I think that I already know, right? Like, I think that I already know to a large extent what went well and what didn't go well. Um, I, and I don't say that, like, I hear all the, the alarm bells going off. But, like, mechanically, I am pretty confident in what went. In, like, okay why aren't we getting, why is the homework submission rate low? Like, why are the test scores low? That kind of thing. I am pretty confident. And to me, like I was saying before, a lot of that I think has to do with pacing. And I also, I also have made, I've also changed some decisions in the second semester and have seen a lot of improvement and growth. And I feel like I'm really confident and know why it's a it's a common I call it the commonplace book. It's like uh a routine, like a connections journal type thing that we've been doing in AP Lang. And that has been tremendously successful as the more that I've made it like live in the classroom. So like structure there, like the there are a lot of structural decisions that I am pretty confident in. Um a second reason is I find that beyond the like one to seven agree disagree data and i don't know if it's just like a school culture thing at my particular school i just find that the students um give pretty perfunctory answers to some of those questions and like sometimes just just think that they sometimes the vibe I get from students, is like, I don't know, man, this is your job. Like you have the data, you have the work. Some students get involved with the discussions and with those, with that feedback to the extent that you're, that you have described. And um, I feel quite frankly, like to a certain extent, I feel like I have invited that type of feedback and the students just weren't super interested holistically uh, in giving that type of feedback. So I was like, okay, well, if, if like, that's not meaningful, because, and and I do that, like, I do that as a teacher, if I do not feel right, like, I am not going to spend my time detailing out my feedback, if I don't think it's going to change, right?
1: sorry that that's it though i know know, know. that's that's the answer one that all that we're talking about can work at the higher level about admin and teachers and the void like that there's a direct parallel with almost everything yeah but but, okay so to challenge respectfully you said there was something that wasn't working in your classroom in the first semester and you made a mechanical change to make it better in the second semester which is a massive success which is great so this isn't working, these conversations, wouldn't the answer be that your students feel like their input isn't valued by you who already knows the answer?
0: Well, so I think, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, the reason I don't think that is because because the students have seen me make adaptions in real time throughout the year, right? Like, that there has been an ongoing process. This isn't working. Here's what I think. What do you think? Like, I have been having those conversations on an ongoing basis throughout the year in those conversations, there has been very real, meaningful feedback and students have, students have seen me make very clear, actionable changes that, that make the workload a lot better Uh, or, or not the workload, but just like have made, they have seen that feedback. Right. So I would say the difference for me is like, I, 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 I feel, and I, of course I could be wrong about this, but I feel like the students believe that if they said something needed to change, that they could say something and that I would change it because they have, and I have done it. Um, and there just has to, I just, it just, it, it has felt before, like, and the other thing, quite frankly, is I just don't assign a lot of work. like i'm i'm and so like the students are are happy with that and like i am a huge believer in um rigor not meaning volume and so like from a student perspective what do they care about well
1: the 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 text you're choosing like the 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 amount of time you spend on ap exam preparation versus other aspects like like those are all, those are all choices you're making. I right. understand the context, I understand your confidence in them. And this, and this isn't, I'm not in your classroom. You're not mine. I, but I, I think that there's a broader conversation that every teacher, this isn't just about you and I, Yeah. like, again, that comes back to those invisible choices. And I think students just don't get invited into those conversations a lot. Like the poem is your school children by Louis Gluck uh um,
0: it's not from.
1: it's not this idea of like this gap it's like this this it's, it's incredible film. to throw in the footnote like just basically it starts off about like mom getting kids ready for school sending them to school depicting in a lot of ways like this dynamic between parents and teachers and how there's a gap between there and the pa- teachers are in a power dynamic and very much uh Speaks to today's moment, yeah. but then the title is the school children, and the very last stanza it does not mention them at all. And it's always like I, I teach this every year. Like, we get to the end, and I say, Okay, who's mentioned this last stanza? and what they name the teachers, mm. the teachers shall instruct them in silence, the mothers shall scour the orchards for a way out. And I'm like, Who's not mentioned? The school mm. children. What's the title of the poem? The school children. Are you yeah. your guys's voices? Do your guys' voices matter in your education as much as they should? No, mm-hmm. every year, same mm-hmm. chorus, and that's how we begin our conversation. So yeah. I, I, I think it. I just very deeply believe, at least in this moment of my career, that the reason students don't feel their voices matter is because their voices don't matter, and they're being made to feel like their voices don't matter. Yeah. And, and I really want to do what I can within the classroom to try and change that dynamic, at least in our four walls.
0: I I like it, man. I, I think that that's.
1: It's a very
0: empowering space to be in, and I think it's a very motivating
1: space to be in. Right. Like, um, yeah. Kudos to you. Yeah. I still got my data wall. Like we're still doing stuff. Yeah. Like, if someone's listening to this, like, we're, like we're doing our stuff skill wise, we're good. Sure. But, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Just something I'm leaning into this year and feeling good about that choice, but we'll mask in them about these choices too. Like even like, the the choice to have these conversations is something yeah. I want to lay bare. Well, all right. So let's, let's close out on this. Yeah.
0: What is, do you have any very tangible concrete Uh, decisions that you're making for next year that have emerged from student feedback
1: one of the biggest things that i leaned into this year and it was affirmed that they asked for some slight modifications is really making sure that there is not late penalties at all Mm. because of and i talked and i didn't really have late penalties except for some minor exceptions in ap uh but they like having like longer term late penalties, like it's basically like the end of the six weeks to so the end of like, so it's not like everything can come flowing at the end of the semester. Uh, mm-hmm. Pragmatically, that helps me to to be balanced. But in my experience, one, especially with the number of absences this year and everything going sure. on it just didn't make sense to try to play the game of counting like, well, should this be excused? Should this no. not be excused? Yeah. It just one, there's incredible bias and power from a teacher deciding who to excuse, who not to which student advocates and plays the game in a way that avoids the penalty Two, you're market. Like if I'm grading them down on a late penalty, that's not a skill. So that's, it feels like it's divorced from what the purpose of what a grade should reflect going back to skill. Uh, and then three, just to, I've had multiple students like this week, even like acknowledge, like, This has been one of the hardest years of their academic career. They are exhausted and overwhelmed, and they really appreciate knowing that this, our class gives them the flexibility to to prioritize what they need to prioritize. And they just like, I know that our classroom is better because of that policy and their feedback supported that. They said they like having like longer term deadlines for accountability, but they said don't get rid of that. And really questioned why they like why these late penalties are such a factor in their lives as students was something that got brought up. So it kind of held me accountable to that. So I'm not, I guess, to slightly go off top, like I'm not gonna change that because they were and this is like 95% on anonymous surveys saying keep it strongly. Mm. So this wasn't a down the middle one, but when you had the conversations in the classroom, it was really eye-opening to hear what that meant in their day-to-day experience and what they needed. And mm-hmm. I think that's making me think about how important that is next year and advocating for it beyond my classroom.
0: That's great, man. I love that. Late penalties are pretty arbitrary. I don't like them at all.
1: Yeah, there you <laughs> go. So yeah, <laughs> this is quite a conversation. Yeah. I, 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 think I we- got jazzed up a little bit. I, I, we'll get I like jazzed it. up with your, your piece good. next time. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, All right. Well, I'm glad we uh, glad we connected. I know it's been a little while. It has been a little while, but it's good to hear your voice and hope that all is well. And until next time. You too, my friend.